glad that His grace is greater than all of our sins. Amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed that service, the, the uh, good music and uh, those patriotic songs. My and my lips were red, white, and blue. God is so good to us, I'm telling you. And we're thankful for His grace upon us as individuals. We're thankful for His grace upon our country as well. We've been able to enjoy His grace. We don't take His grace for granted. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, not a person in this room deserves to go to heaven. But because of God's grace, God is willing to give to you what you and I do not deserve. That's hard for us to imagine because all through our life... We think we have to earn things, and we're uh, taught that in this world, to earn a wage, to earn this or to earn that, and, and yet God has a gift, and a gift is not something that is earned, something that is given, and you and I must receive, and I hope you have received God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Well, this morning, as we... Change directions. But before we change directions totally, there was something that I was hoping to give last Sunday as we concluded the book of Job and I was not able to get there. One of the the thoughts that I left last Sunday was that even though we saw the prosperity of Job and God gave him back double, that is not the success of Job's life. The success of Job's life was that he says in the concluding chapter, he says, I've heard about you, God, but now I know you. That's the success of Job's life. And you know what? To all of us, we, we know God. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter into a relationship and you know God. And He becomes a part of your life and the fabric of your life. But all through the journey from then, that point to when you go to be with the Lord, it is a process of growing and getting to know Him better and better. Sweeter as the days go by and we trust in Him. I'm afraid that too many of us have the wrong philosophy of God and what they and why they serve God. So often people will serve God so that God can be on their side. So they can get out of God whatever He can give them. He's big enough to give you a whole bunch of stuff. But that's such a fickle way to live. And I just want to encourage you that no matter what happens in the future, your love for God will bring the greatest contentment in your life. I've been reading in Psalms. I'm all next tomorrow will be I'll finish the Psalms and they are just a rich book, but as you read them, you, you truly discover human emotion. How many of you have emotions? Can I see your hands? All right. Don't you wish it was all just happy joy and peace and all that good kind of stuff? But you know, as you read the Psalms, they had human emotions just like us. And here these are the writers of the Scriptures, and they're exposing their hearts of the ups and downs of their lives. And as I was, was reading Psalm 88, and why don't you just turn there. Psalm 88 is probably, in fact, you know, I'm not totally certain, 
But I would say Psalm 88 is probably the gloomiest psalm of the Bible. You, 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 you discover someone who is just, it just seems like they're totally engulfed in the grief of life. And he starts off in Psalm 88. He says, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. I don't know how many of you have cried day and night. I've cried in the day. I've cried in the evening. But usually I don't cry all day long. And he goes on and he says, Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my, my cry. Uh, you, you almost sense that this is maybe a Job here. Man, I don't understand what's going on. And if, if the book of Job teaches us anything, it teaches us that we cannot discern every aspect of our life based on what is going on in our lives. Right or wrong? You cannot discern whether God is paying attention to your life based on the circumstances. Understand, in fact, this morning I read Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 says, man, he sees when I sit down and when he stands up. God pays attention to every detail of our life, every word spoken. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how abandoned we feel we are, we are in God's hand and nothing is able to pluck you out of God's hand if you are born again. Amen to that. But there are times in these human emotions that you feel like you're all alone and destitute. He says, let my prayer come. Verse 3, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as the man that hath no strength, free from the among the dead, like the uh, slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from, from thy hand. He feels so abandoned. You ever felt that way? Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit and darkest of the deeps. In fact, you know, if you ever feel real sorry for yourself, you ought to read this psalm. You, you'll feel like, you know, hey, I'm a, I think I'm a step ahead of this guy. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pits. The wrath lieth hard upon me. Thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away my uh, acquaintances far from me. In other words, even his friends have left him. I'm shut up and cannot come forth. Verse 9, mine eyes mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hand upon thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead rise and, and praise thee? You know, God, I, have, I feel so dead. Shall, shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? Lord, rescue me so, so that I have something to praise for. You see what he's saying? Shall the wonders be known in the dark and the righteousness the land of the forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord. In the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. It's coming before him, basically. Uh, Lord, why cast thou not off my soul? Why hits thy face from me? 
I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up while I suffer thy terrors. I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goes over me. Thy terror hath cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend, hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintances into darkness? How many would say, that's a gloomy psalm? You know, most of the Psalms, they start out that way, but then they, they turn their attention onto the Lord and they see the glory of the Lord. This psalmist, it just seems all that he sees is the despair of life. And sometimes we are encompassed with the despairs of life. And in my reading on uh, this portion of scriptures, July 11th, what's today anyways? It's the fifth, isn't it? Yesterday was the fourth, so that means today would be the fifth. That wasn't hard figuring out, Bob. You know, I, I, can, I can remember what day it is today. But on July 11th, in Bible Pathways. How many are doing Bible Pathways? All right, you'll come to it July 11th. I'm going to read you just a little bit here. He says, yesterday we discussed Psalm 88. And talking about there. And uh, uh, it says, these Psalms are not talking about simply acknowledging God. Listen to this now. They stress the fact, and he's talking about Psalm 92 through 100, which is really uh, some, some psalms of praise and all, but he says the psalms are not talking about simply acknowledging God. Hear that. Not just acknowledging God. They stress the fact that we need to focus solely on Him. You see, this psalmist in 88, he focused on all the struggles and the difficulties of his life and his soul was so miserable. We need to be focusing on him and so then praise him with every fiber of our being. When our earthly existence is peppered with misfortune, it can be hard to, for, uh, hard to forget ourselves long enough to immerse ourselves in praise. But that is exactly what our, we are being encouraged to do. In order to do so, we must begin by remembering why we owe our praise to God. It is widely believed that the reason we should praise God is to thank Him for our blessings. When all is right with the world, this reason makes sense. But what about on the day when nothing goes right? Your dog dies. You lose your job. Your wife is diagnosed with cancer. Your house burns down. All in a 24-hour period. How can that possibly be a day for praise? Under the blessing idea, you might not be able to come up with a reason. However, the reason that we praise God is not because of what He has done, but because of who He is. Amen? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Even, it says, once we have resolved to turn our minds to God instead of dwelling on our own circumstances, an amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit bubbles up inside of us. 
bringing with it an irrepressible feeling of joy, gladness, and peace. Philippians 4, 7. Through worship and praise, we are drawn closer and closer to our Lord. By lifting up our voices and songs and praising His holy name, we are fulfilling our deepest, most primal directive. God is complete without us, but we are nothing without Him. That's what we've been doing in our worship service. We have been praising Him. Only by praising God can we find the true meaning of happiness. I want to encourage you. We might need to redefine what is happiness. Uh, one of my verses that I'm uh, memorizing is Psalm 34, 1 through 3. Uh, it's rather new to me, so I might mess up a little bit. Psalm 34, 1 through 3, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes her boast in the Lord. And the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name forever. Amen? You know, one of the things that I told my wife, I says, in memorizing scriptures, oftentimes when I memorize scriptures, I don't get a lot out of the scriptures. Because I'm so concentrated on the words trying to get it down, trying to, to, to get put it to memory. But what I'm finding that as I've memorized these scriptures, and I wake up in the morning and I'm able to start my day quoting scriptures, it's bringing greater joy. And then as I have memorized these scriptures, some of those words that I've memorized, all of a sudden I've said to myself, what does that mean? It's interesting in verse 2 there, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And Carolyn, that caught my attention. I'm thinking, what is the humble? And in actuality, when I looked up the Hebrew word, it means the poor, the weak, and the afflicted. And what it is saying there, listen congregation, what it is saying there, that as God's praise is in my mouth continually... It is helping others on their journey who are afflicted and weak and they see the glory of God in your life and you are an encouragement to other people. Isn't that wonderful? You know, so often we get self-centered even in our praise and in the things that we do thinking that, well, I want the joy, I want the peace in my heart. And yet in Psalm 34 verse 2, it's saying that the things that we are doing in our praise is helping other people. And I said last week, I said, you know what causes so much misery in a person's life is self-centeredness. And how much in church are we doing that is self-centered? Rather than lifting our voice of praise so that others may hear. You know, the Psalms are filled with that. Praising our God in front of the heathens and all. Man, we ought to be talking about our God all the time. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen. All right. 
So we're now going to transition. I hope that you have gained some insight from the book of Job, that our praise and what I read this morning, our praise is to who He is, not so much of what's going on in our lives. For each of us can have a Psalm 88 day, um, though I find that my days have never been like Psalm 88, and I thank the Lord for that. Uh, most of us in this room have never gone through a Job life, have we? So we have much to praise the Lord for. So God teaches us through the book of Job that here's a good man going through the struggles of his life. Now we're going to go all the way into the New Testament. Is that all right? And guess what we're going to get back to? The life of Christ. And there is something here that I want us to see as well this morning. And I would hope that we might connect some of these dots. Because in our fickle minds, we begin to to fail to understand that even the struggles that we go through in our life is about showing God's glory to others and seeing God's glory in our own soul. So if you turn to uh, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to transition now to the life of Christ We've talked about his birth. We've talked about his baptism. We've talked about his temptations. We've talked about the cleansing of the temple, uh, being born again. John chapter 3, the woman at the well. We see God's heart. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, We see people being healed. We see people rejecting God. We see people missing out on the blessings of God's glory. And then we studied the glory of the Lord and that idea of the glory of the Lord is to reflect God. And so as we come back now to this roots of understanding what would Jesus do, we come back to his, the study of His life. And what we're going to look at is this miraculous catch in Luke chapter 5. It is coming to the end of His first year of ministry. This is his fifth miracle out of 35 miracles that the Lord has recorded in the scriptures. Now, we know that the Bible says that if everything was recorded about the Lord, the books of the world could not, or the libraries of the world could not contain them. But what we read in the scriptures is there for our admonition. And so in and, uh, Luke chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass... That as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the draught or the catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do what you ask me to do. Or let down our nets. When they had done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, and should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships, so that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, 
saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him in the draught or the catch of the fish, which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, I pray that as we look at this portion of scriptures, that you would just take now these moments and bring to us the understanding of what's taking place here. In Jesus' name, amen. There in the sea of Gennesaret, you see it up here. The reason why it's called the Sea of Gennesaret is right there is Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, which is right there is Tiberia. It's also called the Sea of Galilee because it's in Galilee, the region of Galilee. And so we sometimes have difficulty knowing some of these places because of these different names, just like Israel, Canaan, and Palestine, meaning similar uh, locations of physical geography. Uh, it's a heart shape. You can kind of see it up there. It's 12 miles by 7 miles. The Jordan flows into it. The Jordan flows out of it. Up here is Bethsaida. And this area of right up here is where Jesus Christ was baptized, not down in this area uh, across from uh, Jerusalem or places like that, but up here. And there you'll find many times Jesus is up there in this area. And many of his disciples were called uh, from that area, seven, they say, out of his 12 apostles were fishermen. You think about that. Calling fishermen. They were rugged. They were courageous. They were dependable. They stayed with it. However, in Acts chapter 4, when these fishermen were brought before the Sanhedrin, they say marveled at these guys saying, these are unlearned and ignorant men. They're not schooled like us. Guess what? God is looking for the ignorant to confound the mighty. Amen? Can He use you? Are we dumb enough? It's when we start getting a little proud of ourselves. We get into trouble. In fact, I was reading in... Uh, I was trying to find it this morning uh, in one of my devotions, uh, one of the verses that I was reading there. Let's see if I can find it. It's Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. Aren't you glad that God has ways of helping us keep humble? Amen. And so we go into this story. And what about this story here? And this, this is taking place now. As we, we saw earlier, Jesus Christ meets these men at the baptism of John. And then we see another part. And, and sometimes uh, some uh, scholars have said that Matthew 4 and Mark 1 is the same account as here in Luke chapter 5. But I tend to lean that what's taking place here in Luke chapter 5 is only recorded here in Luke chapter 5 of a unique event when Jesus comes and He meets these men again. 
And so in our minds, we have to keep before us, even though I know it's been a long time since we started this study, is that Jesus met Peter and he met uh, Andrew and he met John, he met James, and they follow him for a little bit, but they go back to fishing. And we see him out there and he meets them again at their fishing part. And here again, he meets them at their fishing mark. And in fact, even after the resurrection in John chapter 22, he meets them again at their fishing. It was very natural for them to go back to fishing. Sometimes it's easy for us to go back to our old lives as well. But uh, as they're out there, you'll know the setting is that they, uh, in verse 1, there was a crowd that came out to hear Jesus up here in this region. He had been in Capernaum. By the way, Capernaum is right up here. See that? Uh, Capernaum. There's Nazareth. So all these areas are up here. I mean, that's less than 20 miles or right about 20 miles, less than 20 miles to the sea up there and, uh, and, and all. And so he had healed uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And, uh, and he's there. And, he's, and there's a great group of people following him. You can imagine hearing the healings and things. They come out there to the water. And in, in verse uh, 2, we see the disciples, they were washing their nets. And we understand why they were washing their nets. They'd been out all night long. They'd fished in the shallows. In the nighttime is where you catch the fish. But did they catch any fish that night? They caught no fish. Now, stop. Is that because God doesn't love them? Now, stop. Or does God have something for them to learn? You catch it? You see, the difficulties and the struggles that we go through our lives is to teach us valuable lessons. And there we see they were washing their nets and they, they had been fishing all night. And, uh, and the Lord says to, uh, 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 he enters into a boat, he says, Peter, will you set your washing of your net aside? And will you come and will you roll me out just for a little bit? Now, Peter could have said, like most of us, Lord, don't you know I'm busy? Right? I'm tired. How many watched the fireworks last night? That's why you're in church. There's only a few of you. <laughs> I was thinking about that last night. Boy, if I stayed up last night that late, I, I don't do well at night. I, I just, I, I heard them going off and the dogs barking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm tired. Peter, let go of your agenda. Now, it is interesting. They were washing their nets rather than selling their nets, right? If I'd been out all night long and I didn't catch any fish, I would have put a for sale sign on my nets. But they didn't. They were washing. These men were diligent through thick and thin. Peter, let me row out. Lord, I worked the third shift. Anybody worked third shift in here before? It's inhumane, isn't it? Can you imagine here early in the morning, the Lord says, come on, let's roll me out. And the Lord gets up there and starts preaching. Or he's sitting down and preaching. Maybe he looked over to Peter and Peter's kind of, you know. 
And truly, when you work the third shift, it is tough. It is tough. Don't miss out. So many miss out on the small commands that God has for them. Then, notice, as he finishes his, speak, his speech, and he says, launch out into the deep. So what he comes back in, and he says, Peter, let's go back out now, and let's get your nets, and let's go fishing. Peter's scratching his head. And he said, uh, what? Master? Now, master is, is an interesting word. It's a term of respect. Only Luke uses it in his, uh, in his Gospels. He uses that word master. Master, we have toiled all night. We are exhausted. You, I know, master, you are a carpenter. You don't understand that the fish don't bite this time of day. And you want us to launch out in the deep. The fish aren't out in the deep. They're by the shore at nighttime. And Lord, we, we went out after them. There's no fish around here. You ever feel that way? The timing of God's plan. Well, he's a carpenter, but he's also the creator. And we can't forget that. Our understanding or versus God's understanding, does it make sense? You know, there's a lot of things that God might ask you to do that doesn't make any sense. So Peter submits. Notice there. And if you can hear Peter, and again, these men have not totally decided to follow the Lord, though they understand who he is. And Peter has seen his mother-in-law just healed. And so we see a submission here. He says, Master, verse 5, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, I'm glad there's times in my life that I've said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now you understand why what's been said here, that he's not going out there with his whole heart. And he's not going out there as a man of faith either. Would you agree with that? This story is not a picture of faith. This is a picture of grace. And God wanting these men to learn so many valuable lessons. The God who is able to take care of you. And they did it. And their importance, even though their obedience, even though it doesn't make sense. And what happened? They started catching so many fish that the nets broke. And so many fish, come on out here, James and John. We got, we got so many fish. And the Bible says that they took up these fish and they put them in both boats. And the Bible says that the boats began to sink. Do you know how many pounds of fish that would have taken to sink these two fishing boats? They say between five and six tons Five and six tons of fish. Now that's a fishing story, isn't it? But it's a true one. It's a true one. God wants to teach them through the drought of the night His amazing grace. Get it? Get it? Doesn't make sense, but God knows what's best. 
Uh, and you think about those fish. You know, they're the, the unsung heroes, aren't they? You know, the night before, God says, fish, go out and enjoy life. Not one fish took the bait. And now the Creator says, fish, come back. And even the fish obey His voice. And they jump in the net, willingly to give of their lives to show the truth of God's power. But then we find something very, very interesting. And I don't know about you, but verse 8 is quite a statement by Peter. And oftentimes this kind of statement needs to be made in our lives if God is going to call us and use us for furtherance of His gospel. Peter saw it. I mean, you can't help but see it. Now, he saw his mother-in-law healed. He had been and seen some of these other miracles that had taken place, possibly the, the, uh, the wedding uh, of uh, Canaan there and the water turning to wine and all these things. But Peter saw it. And he fell down at his feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that grabs me. And in fact, Donna, this morning I got on my knees and I said, Oh, Lord. How many times we doubt God's ability. How many times we go kicking and screaming in what God wants to accomplish in our lives as if we're drinking castor oil. And Peter recognizes. Peter recognizes his lack of faith and his half-heartedness. And I'm going to tell you something, my friends. Until we recognize what's going on in our lives, we will never enter into all those things that God has out there for us. We see a picture of grace. Peter, the Lord knew Peter's heart. Peter just does it because he's the master. He says, okay. And I imagine in Peter's mind, maybe the reason he let down those nets is to say, all right, I'll show the Lord. I'll show the Lord there's no fish out there. You ever done that? I'll show God. Oh my, how foolish. And Peter falls down and abhors himself. Do you see his repentance? He's got on his knees before the Lord and he says, I abhor myself. Depart. I'm not even worthy to be in this boat with you. Boy, there's a good attitude for us to catch. Recognize what's going on in our lives. Recognize our lack of faith. Yet we see the grace of God. We see the hands of God. We see the power of God. You know, I, had a, I, I enjoyed studying this message. Because it smacked me right between the eyes. Anybody else here? Smack you right between the eyes. Lord, I repent. Peter says, for I am a sinful man. You know, that's what needs to happen when you come to Jesus Christ. You recognize that you are a sinful man and you cry out to the Lord. And listen, does the Lord know Peter's heart? You know, I was reading in Psalms today, in, there in Psalm 139 again. I just, 
I, I marveled at it. It talked about all the days of the psalmist being recorded in a book. All the days. God knows everything that's going to happen in our life, and yet He still calls us. He still wants us to be His children. He still wants to use us. And the Lord says to Peter and to those that were with him, He says, I'm going to make you a fisher for men. Boy, that's a good occupation, isn't it? When Jesus Christ says, occupy till I come, that's the occupation He's talking about. Being fishers for men. Telling people about Jesus Christ. Helping them to come to that knowledge and seeing Christ in our lives. And the Bible says they forsook all and followed Him. Amen to that. Now, did the Lord know that Peter would deny uh, Him again down the road? Oh, yeah. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. But He loves us in spite of of who we are. That's what salvation is. But God commended us or just demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I've talked to so many people who think, well, I've got I've to get my life right in tune with the Lord and, and then I can be saved. No, you get saved and God will put you in tune. <laughs> Amen to that. Boy, I had no idea what God was going to do in my life when I accepted Him as my Savior at 15 years of age. And it also seems like when I try to figure things out in my own ways, it's the drought of the night that comes. But when I let God be God, that's when the treasures of heaven are open. Can I encourage you, congregation, the same God that brought five to six tons of fish to the boat is the same God we serve today. I forget what it was. Does anybody remember? I sent out in our uh, that uh, weekly newsletter. I talked about may God send us a fish. Remember when it God put the coin in the mouth of fish? Anybody remember what we were going through at that time? I forget, boy. I forget. I wish I I've, I've wrote it down someplace, Alicia, because uh, and, and Alicia is reminding me. You need to write this stuff down, and she knows that I have a mind like a. Like something. <laughs> I've written it down. I think it was the electrical. That's right. When they were telling us that we had to move our entire electrical service, which was about $50,000. And God sent us a fish with a coin in its mouth to take care of it and, and a good verdict that was out there. We have a God whom we come to. And you know what? We, we can't stop coming to Him. We need to keep depending on Him. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Amen? Father, as we've learned some of these lessons this morning, I want to thank You that as we started this service, we realized that we can't discern the evidence of Your love through the material things that come our way. And that, Father, we ought to be praising You for who You are in our lives. And, Father, as we study this story, You've brought us now back to this life of Christ that's so rich and so full. And we see lessons here that, and I'm sure as we ponder this, this event that took place, that we need to, to comprehend that there was a drought at nighttime so that the apostles 
could receive the incredible miracle of this catch. So, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, help us to praise you for who you are, not for all that's happening in our lives. For, Lord, our souls will be up and down if we evaluate the circumstances of our lives rather than evaluating who you are and how great you are. And you make no mistakes. I'm thankful that you saved us because of your amazing grace. And so as we hear and we see this story, we are thankful that, Lord, you've put this in here for our admonition today and for this day, July 5th, 2015, that we can read this account and it can do its work in our soul wherever we are and whatever's going on. I pray that the Word of God will bring encouragement Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Will you just make the decision that God would have you to make? Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you just need to come and trust Him for your salvation of your soul to heaven. Maybe it's the journey that you're on now and it's rocky or it's got some droughts. You come to trust Him. Most of us know that. Maybe it's God's call on your life. Maybe what you have thought to be insignificant, it was that obedience that Peter followed the Lord in. Even though he really didn't believe, he stepped out and did it. For whatever motive, yet God showed his strong hand to Peter. It's a God we serve. God who doesn't do it because we deserve it. He does it because we don't deserve it. And he's willing in his grace and mercy to extend to us His powerful hand. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What decision will we make this morning? Maybe some of us need to be like Peter. We fall down on our knees. We say, oh God, I am a sinful man. You know, it's when you recognize that, that God can take and put His hands out and say, come on, follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. There's so many lessons in here this morning. I hope that you've caught one of them. I've caught several of them. I've had the luxury of preparing this message, pondering it, thinking about it, listening to what other men say about this portion of Scriptures. The bottom line is, what is God saying in your heart about this portion of Scriptures? What does He want you to do with what you've heard today? For the Bible says, don't be just hearers of the Word, but be doers of it. Is there some venue, some activity, some situation in your life that you need to surrender to God and let Him be the God of that area? Why don't you do it right now? And so we lift up our request to you, dear Lord, collectively as a church, And then individually, Lord, to whatever your hands would have us to do. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. Such a sweet song of forgiveness to our soul. I pray that, Lord, that you will help us in whatever your Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts, that we will not take your Spirit's speaking to us through the Word of God lightly, but that, Father, we will act upon it according to your grace your divine enablement. 
Now help us to be that which you'd want us to be. And truly, Father, we all need to be fishers of men. And this I pray and lift up your holy name. Amen. Amen and amen. One last thought before we give an invitation. And I would hope that in your heart there's an invitation going on right now that God has been inviting you to make some decision. And you make it. You know, we see these disciples washing their nets rather than selling their nets. Now flip that around. If you had caught five to six tons of fish, would it be hard to give up your net at that time? And they left their nets. You see, there's two sides of this coin here. One was the drought and the other was the tonnage. And they followed the Lord in God's miraculous blessings upon their lives. Well, we're going to sing an invitation song, but you know, I finished so early that uh, everybody's gotten so used to me finishing so late. But I think we could sing... uh, You know what? We know Amazing Grace. I think that would fit real well right now. And if you're not saved, you just come to Him. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're going through a struggle in life, you understand we have a God who is a very gracious God. Let's stand together. We'll sing it a cappella. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious is that grace thus far. The hour I first believed. Oh, that was sweet, wasn't it? That was nice. You'll make join the choir for that. Well, if God has some other direction in your life, I, I would hope, I would hope God gets a hold of us, each of us. He does me. Almost every day he gets a hold of my heart. You get in the Word of God, it's the washing, it's the plowing, it's the working, it's the treasure of getting to know Him better and better. What a wonderful journey we're on. Amen? And aren't you glad for God's grace as He has taken us along the journey, knowing all the things that are part of our lives, and He loves us still. Amen and amen. Yeah, we bet we'll be there 10,000 years. Do you want to sing that at the end? Why don't we say, we're going to be there 10,000 years. I went out, I said this at the, uh, the, the, the uh, picnic, uh, seeing God's creation. Jerry Horn said to me, he says, just think what heaven's going to be like. This is just but a moment of time that we get to enjoy all of, of heaven and the new creation and all that God's going to give us. Boy, I, we're going to be able to enjoy that forever and ever. 
When weep and there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's grace than when we first begun. Ooh, that'll thrill your soul. No less days to sing God's grace. We serve a great God. Well, look over the bulletin. We got a work day on Thursday. Is that right, Gary? It's on Thursday, uh, not Saturday. So eight to noon on Thursday. Plus, we're getting ready for youth camp this week. So pray for all of those that are involved with our youth camp. I think we have about 225 that are going to youth camp uh, for junior week. And so uh, just be praying for that. Our team will be leaving on Saturday. Tonight, Brother Ferris, he's the man that talked about uh, his trip to the Philippines there, come home and had cancer, and now is going back to the Philippines. He's, he and his wife are going to be with us tonight. You come back tonight. And then uh, Mommy and me, this information is in the bulletin. And then signing up for the family conference the end of July. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you.